This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back with me again for another day. Last show of the week, in case you had forgotten, no shows Thursday and Fridays. I catch a little bit more time off before getting into the grind of August, September, October, November, on and on and on with all that happens in sports and all the great stuff we'll have to talk about. We still have plenty to get to today. Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist, will join me here in a little bit to talk about the big twins trade deadline. I'll have some thoughts about that in a minute as well. Plus, um, some early thoughts on Gophers football. They opened fall camp just a couple days ago, and I wanted to get Chip's thoughts on what he's watching for as they start practice. We'll also get to Vin Scully, legendary broadcaster. We'll get to that at the end of the show. Died on Tuesday at the age of 94, a legend. One of those rare people that uh, pretty much universally loved and universally decided as one of the best, if not the best, of all time at his craft. So we'll send you out um, of the show with a little special Vin Scully treat. But first, what did I miss? I feel like August 2nd, while not a holiday in Minnesota, could now officially be declared sigh of relief day on two different fronts, both literally and figuratively, I guess. Let's start with Kirill Kaprizov, dynamic wild forward who was caught up in this weird and, you know, weird and hard to talk about story where he was stuck in Russia, could not leave, and there was some question about his military service. There was some, you know, some unfortunate things happening with some other players in that regard. And it got to the point this offseason, if you've been paying attention, where it was, you know, at least a genuine concern whether he would be able to leave the country and get back to Minnesota, get back to the United States and play um, this NHL season. And, you know, whether that was based on what we now might think of as a false report or maybe whether whether that was overblown for as long as he was not in Minnesota there was a palpable tension i would imagine in the organization and certainly among wild fans just because you know it was it's very minnesota sports for the wild to you know break through start to have some better teams again have the best player in franchise history and to have him stuck in his home country because of you know, political probably amounts to political maneuverings. But Kirill Kaprizov back in Minnesota as of Tuesday evening. So our Sarah McClellan reporting that per a source. So put that to rest, I guess, at least for now. Now that he is back in Minnesota, now that he's back in the United States, breathe a sigh of relief. Kirill Kaprizov sounds like he will be, <clears throat> you know, by all accounts, should be plenty ready for. The season should not have a problem on on that front anymore. So that is sigh of relief number one and a big one. However you thought of this along the way, whether you were just kind of, you know, in wait and see mode, not thinking about it too much because it was, you know, July, August, like the season doesn't start for a while. Um, it just felt like the longer it went without a resolution, the more worried you were going to become. And it was gonna, it was getting to that point where it's like, ah, like, does, can he just can this just get fixed? And on Tuesday, it got fixed. Speaking of which, Tuesday, Twins made three 
significant trades, adding two relief pitchers and a starting pitcher. Uh, I think that the bullpen help is the one that you will probably focus on the most. Um, they got themselves all-star closer um, Jorge Lopez. They got Michael Fulmer from the Tigers, and they also added Tyler Malley, a uh, you know pretty good starting pitcher from the Reds. I guess they've been taking all the Reds pitchers because they also got Sonny Gray. Um, those guys did not appear at all on Tuesday, but maybe just their presence and maybe the way that game went underscored how important this is. Twins lose 5-3 to Detroit, use seven pitchers, including six relievers, to get through a 5-3 game. Chris Archer, who you know has been relatively effective in a very limited starting role going, you know, Four innings usually. He pitched four and a third, two hits, two runs, a very Chris Archer start. But then it takes six guys to get through the next four and two-thirds innings. And, you know, some of that's how they're using him. Some of it's this, some of it's that. But when you use six relief pitchers, and none of them are lights-out relief pitchers, you open the door for one of them to falter. And that's what happened. Griffin Jacks had a rough outing, only only managed to get one out. Gave up three runs, and there you go. That's your ballgame. Twins were up 3-2, to two, and then suddenly they're trailing 5-3, and that's your final score. So that tells you right there how badly these upgrades were needed. One, to give them two more reliable bullpen arms. Hopefully they don't have to have games like this where they're trotting five, six relief pitchers out there. Maybe these guys can go a full inning, maybe two, uh, perish the thought. And by getting Mally, they give themselves another starter who can work deep into games and might take some of the pressure off of a bullpen that even with these two new additions has some question marks. So sigh of relief for the Twins, sigh of relief for the Wild, sigh of relief for all those fans who've been saying get them some help. Twins now certainly, you know, probably AL Central favorites. Now White Sox didn't do squat at the deadline. Cleveland barely did anything. The Twins were the team. They clearly improved themselves the most. They're going for it. They're trying to win the division this year, which is good. I, I, I applaud that. But you know, now we're kind of in no excuses mode. Not to say this is automatic, but you know, th- this is a team that's in first place still right now and added the most of any rival in the division. So that tells me Rocco Baldelli should have plenty to work with now down the stretch. Now it's a matter of how they play and how he deploys them as they pursue another American League Central championship. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Let's bring in Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist now, to add to this conversation chip um talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show already but saved most of it for for you and i very busy um trade deadline for the twins maybe a little bit more active than i would have thought um you know especially especially the caliber of player you know it wasn't like they were you know in on juan soto or you know some of the the biggest of the big names but certainly improved themselves Tuesday, you know, with the acquisitions, you know, an all-star 
pitcher from this year, all-star relief pitcher Jorge Lopez from mm-hmm. Baltimore, someone who, you know, didn't really make it as a starting pitcher, but just turned his career around as a reliever this year. Um, and then obviously getting Taylor Malley from the Reds um, and then Michael Fulmer late in the day um, before the deadline from the Tigers. Um, what's your, just, you know, taking, taking it all in, were you, is this a, is this more or less about what you expected them to do based on kind of what they've done before and where they stood going into this? Yeah, I would say kudos, Derek Falvey. And to me, it came down to this, Mikey, that you do not go out and pursue and sign Carlos Correa for what essentially is a one-year deal. Be in first place at the trade deadline, albeit their lead is shrunk, even though they've, they've played pretty poor baseball here the last however stretch you want to say. Right. And, and do nothing. Yeah. Like if, they, if they did nothing, it's like, well, then why did you sign Carlos Correa? I mean, I, I liked it. Be aggressive. Um, yes, the Yankees and Astros are superior, and they were aggressive at the deadline, and they improved themselves. But if you win this division, you're going to have a home playoff series of three straight games, three straight home games. That's, that's what it is. And so try to maximize what you have with Carlos Correa because he's going to opt out. It would be – He's going to test the market to see if somebody gives him a long-term deal. It doesn't mean it can't be the twins, but he's going to, you know, any player would do that. And so improve your pitching staff. Um, the pitching philosophy this entire year has been baffling to me because you counted on starters to rehab their careers and you have kind of this, um, this uh, philosophy of they can't go deep. Right. Give us three, four innings. And then you have a bullpen that's not very good and now is overworked. It's like those two things don't match up. And yes. so I like what they did. I mean, getting Lopez um, is a, you know, a big time win for them. Because if you have him, you're on Duran um, at the back end of your bullpen and Griffin Jacks. Now you can slide it guys who are in those high leverage roles into, you know, less stressful uh, yes. innings and so you make your bullpen a lot better you know they added michael fulmer who had to walk down the hall from the truck. right um imagine that that's got to be an odd feeling right you're one clubhouse pack your bags you're going right down the hall to a new team right um but he you know he you add him to your bullpen and then uh mally is a middle rotation guy right a three yeah probably three, three four. four yeah um in a rotation you know, full of three fours. In a rotation full of three. But he's better than some of the guys you're putting out there. Sure. And so if if you know if you're saying it's Sonny Gray, Ryan, and him, um, that's better than uh, you know, some of these guys that they're carting out there that are giving you three innings and really taxing your bullpen. So um I like what what Falvey did. I mean, to me, uh we get so enamored with prospects yes, who may or may not ever contribute to your ball, your big league ball club. And I'm not saying you have to be reckless with them, but I think too often fans and probably media fall in love with the idea of what prospects might be. Um, when, what is the hit percentage on, you know, these guys, if, if a guy's the 18th ranked prospect in your 
association, you know, what's the success rate on that guy becoming a contributing everyday ball player for you? So I, you have to give up prospects to try to win now. And I'm glad they're doing it. You know, and I saw a uh, stat from this twin, the twins radio account that tweeted it. It was after the, uh, the win on um, Monday when Sanchez went five innings, it was pretty astounding to me. Um, Sanchez went five innings and that has been a big line for twin starters to get to this season. When the starter goes five or more, and this is through Monday, the twins are 40 and 16 this season. And they're 14 and 32 when the starter does not go at least five. Now, of course, like it's, you know, the starter gets knocked out of the game. You're probably going to lose, but it does does show like that's a, it's a very minimum threshold. It used to be at least five innings and these guys, at least that they're getting, you know, Mally. 19, 19 starts this year, 104 innings. So he, he you know, he's going to go five or six for you. Same, yeah. you know, at least they have guys now where you might be able to work a little bit deeper into the ball game uh, along with a Sonny Gray, maybe a Joe Ryan and not have to overexpose a bullpen, which now is better than it was 24 hours ago. Well, and the problem with that too, Mikey, is that Rocco even admitted a couple of weeks ago that they predetermined how, how long these starters are going to go in before the game. Right. So it's it's not a situation where, okay, this guy's getting beat around or he's, you know, laboring and we got to get him out. It, it's, you know, we, we've seen instances where a guy looks strong, but he might be at 79 pitches. It's like, well, we got to take him out third time through the order, or we determined at two o'clock this afternoon that that's all it was going to be um, without having the, you know, without being flexible enough to say, you know what, he looks pretty strong tonight. Let's let him keep going. Our bullpen is overworked or not very good. Um, and so that, I mean, that's just been confounding to me, but the fact that you had, you know, two, uh, one really good reliever yeah. that I think, I think Rocco said today that he'll pitch a fair amount of the ninth. Yeah. So it, it gives you options there, whether it's Duran, I don't know if we'll see Jackson that role. I, Griffin Jackson has been a really nice find for him. Yes. Um, and so they got better today. And that's the, the, to me, that's the thing you're in a eminently winnable division. Yes. And I think this is going to really energize that clubhouse Yeah. because guys, guys, if you're leading and you're kind of leaking oil, <laughs> I guarantee you guys are in, in there looking at the front office saying, okay, we're going to do something kind of bolster this kind of mm-hmm. give us some, some reinforcements here. So I, that's going to be a, a shot of um, life to that clubhouse and let's see how they respond to it. Yeah. And another thing that, you know, we should point out in this and Fulmer is a rental. He's a free agent in 2023, a free agent after this season, but um, Lopez under team control through this year and two two more years years after this and Mally also um, just arbitration eligible next year. So he's under team control for, you know, a year and a half. So, you know, you got to think about, I think that was important to Falvey and Levine. It always is. It should be to anybody. It is. You know, if yeah. you're going to give up, yeah. if you give something up, you don't want it to just be for two months. You'd like it to be for longer. And, and with, you know, the two, I'd say the two primary trades in this, the, the best reliever and the, the starter that they got that immediately plugged into the rotation. Those guys can be here next year. And in the case of Lopez here in 2024, as well, as long as he performs well. Yeah, and that's been Falvey's MO, right? Yes. They they don't want it to be a rental. And, and I gotta be honest with you, Mike, knowing kind of where you're at with the Yankees, the Astros, that they're, you know, 
they're on a different plane that if you're just giving away prospects for three months and you think you're going to make a run, I'm not sure that's the best strategy. So if you can right. work it to where you get a top end reliever like Lopez and you have him for two more years after control, I mean, to me, that's an absolute win for you. Um, and that's something that they're clearly that's important to them to try to get control after, you know, have control over a guy more than just the rest of this uh, season. So it was smart. Um, it was aggressive. It's, we, we don't typically see the twins do this. Um, sometimes they make more like minor moves that really right. don't, that don't move the needle. I feel like this one, particularly Lopez moves the needle. Um, and, and the other thing is Mike, you didn't give up if you're the twins, the prospect that you really coveted, right? You didn't give up Lewis. You didn't give up Miranda. No, who, no, who I mean, you give up absolutely the- fine. In the Lopez trade, they gave up their number 20 prospect and a few other guys. So, I mean, it's not yeah. like they didn't give up, not like they gave up nobody, but yeah, you're right. There's this not like you didn't look at the list and say, oh, now a couple of the guys that gave up for Mally are having some nice minor league seasons, but you know, yes, you never dear. know. How, you, you never know how power necessarily projects. Um, those are hitters instead of, and maybe they feel like they've got some organizational depth there, but so you got to yeah. give up something, but you're right. They didn't give up that one prospect. You're like, oh, we've been hearing about this guy for a long time and now he's gone. Well, how much do you think, too, that? Miranda's kind of, uh, you know, what he's shown him here after the tough start changed the, the, uh, you know, the narrative. I mean, I, I, there was a time where I thought, well, maybe they'll part with Miranda to get a, a pitcher. Well, yeah. to be able to hang on to him, I, and it sounds like Carlos Correa went to the, <laughs> to the team and said, you know, do not part with this kid. Yeah. He's, you know, he has a chance to be really good. And so that, that's the other thing. Not only do you get team control after this year, you didn't have to give up one of your most coveted prospects. Right. Um, and now in, in saying that if you, if you would have had to do that, you would have got a higher caliber player in return, right. Right. higher caliber pitch. So you could say, well, um, but I also, you know, again, would that move had put them in the, you know, in the conversation where they're going to challenge the Yankees or challenge after. I don't think so. I think there's still too many flaws and still not enough, Top end talent on their rotation and bullpen to, to think you're going to be in that conversation, but yeah. I, but I, you know what? Again, I go back to like we I wrote this the other week. We fall in love with or we're fascinated with this. It's World Series or bust. Well, there's there is stuff in between there, right? Yeah. Or it's, right. it's World Series or rebuild. It's like if they can win a division and get that, um, you know, three game playoff series at home and win that, yeah, that's and then you know if they get their doors blown off, you know, later on by the Yankees or Astros, but it's still, you're making progress. You've gotten the playoffs. You, you won, won a series. A, you won a playoff game you for won the a first game. time since 2004 <laughs> in that then scenario. Forever. Yeah. So 18 it's like, tries. I, I don't think you're going to go zero to a hundred in one year. It's going to have to be, you know, uh, incremental progress. And so I think that's what they're looking at. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's a, I think Royce, brought up a good point on Monday show. Like they're, they're top, top prospects. Like, a lot of them are either hurt or, yeah, you know, sure. not having the best of years right now or having, you know, relative to expectations, disappointing years. So that probably played into it too. Like what from their organization would a team have picked out in a blockbuster trade, but you know, to be able to kind of work the fringes, get guys who, again, maybe, maybe individually, none of these guys moves the needle, but I do think that in combination when you get two capable relief pitchers and a capable starting pitcher that, that to me says, okay, 
you, you've made a reasonable, realistic effort to try to win this division. That doesn't guarantee anything, but I think they did. They did. They did their part at the, at the deadline. And now look, at, I haven't looked around the uh, the central. Um, I've been kind of busy today, but did anybody in the central really make moves to bolster their White Sox? The, you know, right? Cleveland. Um, I, I think the Twins were the most active, uh, just based on you know what we've seen. So um, they made themselves better. Um, I, I, you know, again, I credit Derek Falvey for realizing that hey this is the time to go for it. Right. I mean, you yeah. have Carl's career for, you know, the rest balance of this season and, and see what it, you know, it leads to. Let's shift gears for a little bit, Chip, um, go for football. They've opened fall, summer, August, whatever camp you want to call, it. but getting ready for the season. It's going to be here before we know it. I always feel like Vikings training camp. We like, you know, we they kind of count down the days then go for camp opens like, wait, okay. Yeah. They're doing it too. Yeah. It's like college is yeah. not as, it's not this like celebrated thing as much, maybe it's just me, but um, yeah. as you've kind of, you know, you pay closer, a little bit closer attention to this than I do. As, as you think about kind of camp storylines or kind of early things to pay attention to positional battles, whatever it might be, what, what comes to mind as you think about Gophers football? Yeah. I mean, it's um, you know, when I, just big picture when I look at where they are, I, I still think there's a three teams in the top tier in the West. It's, you know, the rivals, them, Iowa and Wisconsin. And um, I think the race will come down to those three teams. To me, uh, two big question marks or just questions on the question marks. Um, they lost a lot of uh, veteran contributors along both lines. Yeah. Defense, defense line. They had two NFL draft picks. Um and Boya Mafe. They're going to have to replace that offensive line. You lost your entire uh, offensive line, except for John Michael Schmitz, who's one of the best centers and maybe the best center in college football. So that's a great place to start, but you have new starters coming in there. How, how do those two groups come together? Um, they've recruited well. They have talked to PJ a couple of times. He's you know excited about what they have there. But to me, the biggest thing is getting Kirk Sharaka back as offense coordinator. Yeah. Um, it just did not work with Mike Sanford as the coordinator, particularly related to your quarterback. Tanner Morgan's back. Um, obviously, Kirk Sharaka pulled something out of him in that 2019 season. He had one of the you know most historic seasons for a quarterback in Gopher history. He's statistically one of the best quarterbacks in college football efficiently. Now, you had two NFL wide receivers he was throwing to in, in Bateman and Johnson. That can't be overlooked, but um, just re- uh, bringing him back and, and uh, reestablishing him with Tanner Morgan. Can that, you know, jumpstart their passing game because they just did not throw the ball. Last year. I mean, they had the fewest attempts in college football, major college football, other than the three service academies. You can't win in the big 10 one dimensional. You can beat the bad teams just running the ball a million times and throwing a couple passes, but you do get Mo uh, back from injury. Trey Potts is back from injury. So you have some established guys there, but they have to be more balanced. You have to be able to throw the ball. And I think getting Chiraca back in his offense, let's see if that, um, you know, if they can recapture some of that magic that, that Tanner had in 2019. Yeah. PJ got asked about the notion of offensive balance. I think it was big 10 media day. And I listened to listened in on that. I think Randy Johnson was there from our paper and it was the, he kind of danced around it a little bit. I wanted him to be a little bit more definitive on it, but you know, he's kind of said, balance to him is, you know, sometimes there's a game where you got to do what's working to win or do what you have to do to win. 
you know, ideally you, you kind of have a better run pass mix, but it, it didn't have the level of urgency or concern that maybe I felt about the 2021 season, but maybe he feels that more internally than he was articulating in that answer. Well, you know, in so many ways, PJ is new school coaching, cutting edge, kind of, you know, uh, connects to, with players. He wants to run but the ball, But he is old school. As, yes. as old, old, I mean, he, you know, he'll tell you he came from the Jim Trestle tree. I, one time I asked him uh, a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, we were just talking. I was like, at the end of the game, what when you get the, the stat sheet, what's the first thing you look at? He said time of possession. And I was like, PJ, you know, <laughs> right. he, he, loves, he loves time of possession. And I think to a fault, what he does sometimes is if he knows they can pound a team by running the ball and they can win 17 to 13 against Bowling Green, that's he's totally okay with that. If they just, if, if something goes wrong, if they have a couple incompletions early or if there's, you know, a drop or Tanner throws a bad, bad pick, it almost is like he's like, all right, we're done with that. We're just going to run the ball and, and get, get away, you know, get out of here with a win and, and be done. The, the thing I find that I think is a problem, and I talked to some, because um, as it, season went on last year and they just weren't throwing the ball and it'd be, they'd throw the ball and then they wouldn't throw it for another 17 plays. And right. it was just so sporadic. So I had talked to a couple of uh, quarterbacks, two played major college, one who played in the NFL. I was like, how does that affect the quarterback when it's so inconsistent? And like you just, it's, you need to nurture it. You need to work on your timing. You have to, because then the quarterback puts so much pressure on. I was like, oh, if I don't make this completion, I'm not going to get another chance for another 12 plays. And so to me, it's like you have to nurture the passing game. It can't be just an afterthought. And too many times last year, I thought it was just they neglected it and it'd be third and nine. Or when you, you don't just flip a switch and have your timing down and can be an accurate passer and, and accurate, you know, receiver. And so that to me is where they have to be more cognizant of just sprinkling in more. It's never going to be 50-50 with PJ because he loves to run the ball. He loves time of possession and shortening games that way. But um, I just felt like they fell too much in love with that process. And just, um, and it just, it, their, their passing game was so out of sorts um, and disjointed last year that again, you cannot finish with the fewest pass attempts in major college football, not counting the service academies and think that you're going to win at a really high level. I don't believe not in the big 10. No, I agree. And I think that's the biggest thing to watch this year. Will it evolve to a slightly better place, at least one that feels more like balance week in and week out and gives them maybe some some cushions, some margins? Because I think what you do when you run all the time is when it works, it's great. Like if you can score and control the ball and you're up big, you can run the ball, but it cuts down on your margins. Like if, if a couple little things go wrong or you you, you miss a short third down, you got a punt, like this, this game gets short. The game gets short quick and against bad teams, yeah. you can they can be in games that they have no business being in if you can't put up some points in a in a fairly quick manner. So it's yeah, interesting to see. Yeah, the other thing is is like when you have to throw it and you haven't done it all season and you haven't done it consistently, are you going to be able to execute it there? And there's so much pressure on those throws. Yeah. That I, I just think it you have to be able to do it more often and to, you know. This is year number six for Tanner, five as a starter, right? Yeah. I mean, um, this is, you know, if you can't trust your quarterback in this situation, uh, you know, you're never going to be able to. And, and we've seen him perform at a really high level, so it's there. And I know 
again, I know he had Bateman and Johnson and those two NFL receivers, but it wasn't just all them. I mean, he made some really clutch throws and looked good in Chiraca's offense. So I'm, I'm curious to see what it looks like now that he's back. Speaking of back, um, final thought for you, Chip. How worried were you about the whole Kirill Kaprizov in Russia saga um, and uh, you know, just you know, the resolution of it uh, apparently coming now? Yeah, it was so uh, murky and so, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the team didn't want to say much about it. The league is told, obviously told teams not to say anything about the Russia situation and at the draft and guys that are over there. And so it's hard to know like what was exactly going on, but it sure seemed ominous. Right. And yeah. it sure seemed, um, like this was had a potential to be a really, uh, disaster for, uh, the wild with, you know, you had the best player in their franchise history yeah. and, and, you know, a Russian, uh, sure. Hope he's not stuck in a <laughs> Russian military camp. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. wow, that's a weird yeah. thing to say. <laughs> and, and, and it's, you know, with Putin, you never know, is he playing games? Is he, you know, uh, going to use the, the NHL players as a political pawn for, uh, whatever agenda he has. So yeah, it was, you know, and, and, you know, they're at war. And so it's, yeah. it's um, you know, I, I know you can't tell players you can't go home. I mean, cause that's just, I don't think the league wants to do that. Even if they feel that, even if teams feel like, like, you know, this is probably not the smartest idea to go back there, but um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be anxious and I'm sure uh, the team is very relieved that, they have him back here in the United States and presumably, you know, uh, here to stay. I don't, I don't know how this, you know, does he, he can't go back now. He Jeez. can't go back, but you know, he does have family there. His parents there. And so that's, that's, you know, another complication, but, you know, but the fact that he's here and, and um, not being dragged into uh, mandatory military service or, or worse when you hear about the fake IDs or whatever was going, you know, yes. that story, which uh, sounds like might not have been true, but um, the wild can breathe easy because their best players back. Yes. Well, Chip, good to have you on as always. I'm sure we'll talk again soon and uh, yeah, we'll take care. All right, brother. We'll see you, man. Good stuff from Chip. As usual, we did not talk any Vikings, but if we had probably would have got into the Irv Smith injury update, Irv Smith, Hurt himself earlier this week in practice. Sounds like it was a must have been a thumb injury because he had surgery immediately. Sounds like they're hoping he will be back for the start of the regular season. Um, but does underscore the depth at tight end. Ben Gessling was on this show just the other day talking about that being something that was that he would be having his eye on because beyond Irv Smith, they don't really have a proven pass catching threat at tight end. So an opportunity for some of the players behind Irv Smith, but also a blow for the Vikings, especially if this is longer than you know a, a training camp preseason type of injury. I'm sure we'll talk about that more today on Access Vikings. Look for that to be released later Wednesday afternoon. Let's finish with the cooler, sad baseball story. Vin Scully, the legendary Major League Baseball broadcaster, worked a lot of other sports as well, died at the age of 94. A life well spent, a life well lived, and like I said at the outset, one of those rare people in this business, in any business really, where he is almost universally recognized as one of, if not the very best, and recognized as, you know, I've read so many 
you know, Vin Scully chance encounter stories of people who met him for 10 or 15 minutes and walked away with the impression of a lifetime. That is a huge shadow, a huge um, just legend of that man, that broadcaster. And I thought I would end today's show with Vin Scully's call of Kirby Puckett's home run in 1991, the World Series Game 6. Jack Buck's call is more perhaps known, but Vin Scully also called that game and did it well, did it very well as he always did. And here is how he called the final play of that game. And the 2-1 pitch to the Minnesota center fielder is driven to deep left center field. Back goes Keith Mitchell. It is gone. Home run pocket. And Charles 